Well, this week uh, we survived Winter Storm. What was the name of it? Does anybody remember? What, what did they call it? I was trying to find out this morning. It's a polar, no, we had another polar vortex? Yeah, have you noticed that they just like make up, I didn't even know we named winter storms anymore, or, or have ever named winter storms, but suddenly they all have names, they all have like these scary titles, and vortex, I didn't, you know, there was a vortex of polarness that was out there, but we had a crazy amount of weather this week, I was after that whole Scary, chilly stuff. I felt like the need to run. Uh, I don't know why. Trapped, feeling gross and holiday weight and things like that. So I go to run, and I run on this golf course uh, near my house, Houston National. As I'm running along, I'm trying to listen to some worship music and get into it. Suddenly, like, I don't know what happened. I don't know if the vortex swirled something out of the atmosphere. But there was just, like, junk all over my running path. There was, like banana peels and trash, and I'm running along, I'm dodging this stuff left and right, and I run with my head down. I don't look up. I don't don't know why. But out of nowhere, there's this dead rat, uh, literally a rat, long tail rat, and I like squirm out of nowhere, and then out of of nowhere, I'm running around this, this little lake, and there's like, have you ever seen those almost like mini otters that are out there? What are those things called? Nutrium, trias. They sound like a breakfast bar. Um, nutria, nutrias, nutrias. There was a nutria, and he was just like out of the water, looking me in the face, and and so I'm dodging all of these things, and just kind of this polluted path of of chaos that I was trying to run through, and it really reminded me about uh, as I think about this world, and I think about this week, and the life that we live. Man, we, we live Monday to Friday or Saturday and just feel like the world is kind of just, it's polluting our heart and our mind. It's polluting my mind. And the thought that I have a lot of times that really pollutes my mind is that it's all about me. That life is about me. That sometimes family is all about me. That work is all about Everything surrounds me. And we come into this place this morning with a totally different message. Let me hear the word of the Lord this morning. Let me share it with you from Isaiah. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and two covered his face, with two covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at his voice. And, they, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. So what's happening here? Uzziah is living in the world. It's pretty polluted. Our world's pretty polluted. And suddenly, he comes into the sanctuary, and it's filled with the presence of God. There are angels flying around with six wings, two covering feet, two eyes. It's an amazing scene. Things start to tremble and shake. I imagine just, just the, the, the midst of the room. And what does he do? He falls on his face because when we're in the presence of God, you realize that he is God and I am not. This morning as we get ready to worship, can I be honest? Sometimes I come into this place 
It's all about me. It's all about me. I don't want today to be about me. Today is not about us as we worship. It's about God. It's about giving him praise. It's about reordering our life to the structure and the call of God in our lives. And it's not a selfish thing. It's a, it's a God thing. So can you join me this morning? We're going to do something I don't know if I've, we've, we've done before. We're going to pray right now before we go any further. And we're going to pray with all of our hearts. So if you bow your heads, just get comfortable where you're at. And let's just pray that God would meet us in this place. Father, I, I thank you. God, I thank you for who you are. God, thank you for what you have done for us, Lord. We're not worthy to be in this house this morning, Lord. God, my life, sometimes, Lord, I just confess to you right off the bat, Lord, I sit on the throne of my world. God, forgive me. God, forgive me for excluding you, for falling into the trap of this world that, that Lord, we are in control. God, we confess our need for you. God, I need you. Lord, we need you in this place this morning, Lord. God, the songs that we sing, they're not for us, they're for you. We want to praise you this morning, God. We want to tell the story of what you have done for us, that we were lost, but we were found. And it's only because of your great grace and your love for us that someone so holy as you would come to this earth and you would die on a cross for us so that we can have life, so we can have forgiveness, we can have redemption and reconciliation, Lord, with you and with others. God, that our heart that was a heart of stone and was dark and was black and was full of, of just sin, Lord, that's my story, God, but you cleaned my heart and you set me free. And God, I wanna praise you. I don't wanna hold back this morning. I want to fall on my face and my heart. Lord, I, I just want to worship you without worry. And God, that's my prayer for my friends this morning as we enter in your presence in this temple, in this sanctuary. God, we thank you for your presence that we feel it's already in this place. Oh, meet with us, Lord. Meet with us. Lord, we love you and we pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. If you would stand to your feet, let's hear the word of the Lord. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the maker, the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And today, it's a good word, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's worship him this morning. We've heard those words. Do you believe them? You are my rock. You are my shield. And you are my light. As we pray in our hearts this morning, as we 
spent time in worship and recognizing who God is, let's take a few seconds to tell God what's on our heart this morning, the burdens, the things that feel too heavy to carry. Lord, you are beautiful. Man, what a great line. So simple and yet so profound. You are so beautiful, Lord. And God, we love you this morning. Lord, I pray that you accept our, our worship this morning. I pray that it's been authentic, that it's been real, that it's been raw, it's been from our hearts. And God, this morning we come to you. Lord, I, I thank you for what you've done this week, how you've been with us, you've walked with us, you've carried us at times this week, God. And Lord, I know of situations in this room, things that, Lord, we need your help. God, there's hurt. In this room, there are people that are, are, are so, or their, their shoulders are so burdened right now with things in their lives, stresses, and things that we try to carry on our own, God, and we recognize who you are. You are Lord, you are God, and you are strong enough to carry those things, Lord. God, we've heard words like cancer this week, and we will not be afraid, Lord. We have, because we have a God that walks beside us. We have a God that heals. We have a God that listens and loves. We have a God that is in every area of our life, God. And we seek you this morning, Lord. We lift up collectively the, the needs of the community, things written on prayer cards, things that are, are written in journals, things that are written on our hearts and in our minds that no one else knows about, Lord. We give those things to you this week. We pray for your peace. We pray for your strength. We pray for your wisdom, Lord. And God, I pray that you would speak in the next few minutes, Lord. Speak through your servant. Speak through your word. It is true and it is unchanging and it is formative, Lord. And we desire that in our lives today. God, speak. Your servant is listening. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Thanks, Pastor Matt. Good morning. You may be seated. How is everyone this morning? If I keep fooling with my microphone, I apologize. Apparently, Pastor Matt or Pastor Garen was the last one that wore it, and they have huge ears, and it keeps falling off of me. So if it's falling off, just let me know. Sorry, I couldn't resist. All right. Well, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about my husband. I'm sure he's going to be thrilled, but, uh, you know, I love my husband. I really do. He is such a good husband. He is a way better husband than I am a wife, for sure. He really is. But, you knew there was a butt coming, right? <laughs> One of my pet peeves about my husband is that he is uh, directionally challenged, should we say. He does not follow directions well. I'm talking about driving directions. Or, nor does he want to follow directions. He just wants to get a map out and follow the map, which would be great if he knew how to follow a map. <laughs> but he doesn't. He's always confident, sometimes right, but always confident. Philip and Ashley still talk about a time where about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, we were going to go see my nephew play baseball a couple hours away from Houston. I don't remember exactly where. And... Um, we, we were on our way, and we left an hour early because, you know, when you have three kids, you got to stop and, and have a bathroom break every once in a while. So we left an hour early so that we would get there in plenty of time. Well, all of a sudden, he announces, I have a shortcut. I know a shortcut. 
I, I distinctly remember saying to him, no, just go. I had printed out the driving directions. Let's just follow the drive. No, I know a shortcut. Guess when we got there? Right when the game was ending. And it's a baseball game. They're long. <laughs> I don't think Philip's ever going to let him live that down. Another time, we were in North Carolina. We had driven to North Carolina because it was in the summer. He was going to be there for about three weeks on business. So we, so we went with him. We actually took Christopher McDowell with us. And um, we were going to, on the way back from North Carolina, we were going to stop in Florida, Gulf Shores, Florida, and meet the Hattons. See, I told you. And thank you, Matt. I, I would, I, I'm all kind of tangled up here, so... See, the problem is you've been wearing this one, too, so your ears already. <laughs> Let me turn this one off. Okay. I love you, Matt. Okay. So anyway, um, we were on the, so we were in North Carolina. We were going to go to Gulf Shores, Florida. The Hattons were going to meet us there. They lived in Alabama at the time. And we get close to Florida, and I'm like, hey, I think, I think the exit's near. No, no, the exit's far far, far away from here. No, honey, that was the exit. No, that wasn't the exit, Michelle. I know where I'm going. We've been to Gulf Shores before. Trust me, I know where I'm going. Well, I would like to say that I sat there quietly and just listened to him, but I nagged at him the whole entire time. When we got to the border of Texas, he said, I think we missed Gulf Shores, Florida, and we had to drive back the other way for three hours. So, always confident, not usually right. So, but George is not the only one that wants to find his or her own way. We all want to find our own way, right? We all want to forge our own paths. David Thoreau, uh, the, the poet, Henry David Thoreau, says, If a man loses pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. Also another poet, William Ernest Henry, finished his famous poem, Invictus, with these words. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And this individualism or self-focus that is not just the imagination of poets and writers. Studies show the more technological we get as a, side, as a society, the less relational we become. We want convenience. We want temporary, detachable relationships. We wouldn't want anyone to get too close to us or get too close to anyone else. We live in the day of iPhones and iPads and iPods and iTunes and iTouch and, and all of those i things. Well, you guys probably live in that age. My husband works for Microsoft, so I can't, I'm not allowed to have anything i on it. But in this age of the I-life, though, where is there room for the we-life that we are supposed to have in Christ? The very heart of the Christian faith is the concern for God's image being displayed in relationships between his people. Today, we are going to talk about discipleship. And I have to confess, this was a really hard sermon for me to write. Usually when we, we do a sermon series, we do it uh, based on a scripture. 
We usually go by the lectionary, and so the scripture is there for us to go by and to be our guide. Well, we're doing the credo of what our church believes, and so we didn't really have set scripture. We just knew the topic that we wanted to preach on. So um, it, it was a really rough, rough week just trying to, to, to get my thoughts together and to be really true to what the Bible has to say about what a disciple is and what about uh, what a follower of Christ is. So I pray that today he, um, he would just uh, speak his, his words. And, um, but the definition of a disciple is a follower. Now, this, this just simply means uh, following someone's example or someone's teaching, even from afar. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone you know. So, but in the case of following Christ, being a disciple doesn't merely mean following his steps. It means more than that. If I were to say, for example, if I were to say I'm a follower of Gandhi, Gandhi's examples and teachings, then that's different than I would if I were to say I'm a follower for Christ. Because it's true that I follow Christ, it's true, but there's more than that. There's, there's the relationship part. Um, we, like to, we like to leave the relationship part out. Remember those bracelets, um, WWJD, what would Jesus do in the t-shirts and all of that? We just want to live like that. We want to be um, maybe his follower, but not necessarily have to have the cost of uh, what it means to be in relationship to him, because when we're in relationship to him, we, we have to be in relationship with others right? So, um, but when I'm a disciple of Gandhi, I may not have ever met him personally. I may not have ever been near him, um, but I can, I can follow his teachings without being invested. But friends, when, we're, when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, when I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, what that means is that you actually come in to a personal relationship with him. So close that the Apostle Paul calls it being united with Christ. So there's certainly the, the following part involved. Um, but how many of you know that you can be uh, a follower of Christ um, without actually being a Christian? It's true. The, the rich young ruler was. He wanted to follow Christ's teachings. He, he had never broken a law in his, his whole life. He was following God. Um, but when he came and asked Jesus, what must he do to inherit heaven? Jesus said, give away all of your wealth and follow me. Well, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to, to sacrifice the, what it, the cost of being a disciple. He didn't want to sacrifice, so he walked away sad. So we're going to, turn, we're going to look at Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 34. Uh, so I'll give you time to find it. But um, let me give you a little bit, bit of background on it. Jesus... Um, had just spoken to um, a crowd and to his disciples, and they were just now figuring out who he was. They were just now figuring out that he was the Messiah. Um, and he asks them, he says, who do people say that I am? And they replied, uh, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, uh, some say you're a prophet. And then Jesus, is, Jesus asks the ultimate question, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah. So they're just figuring out who Jesus is. And so Jesus says to them, he, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What an extraordinary thing to say. I mean, deny yourself? I mean, wasn't Jesus trying to get followers? I mean, wasn't he trying to start a movement? That's not a very, very popular way of starting a movie is to say, a movement is to say to deny yourself. I wouldn't want to follow anybody that said you have to deny yourself, especially if I didn't, I was just now figuring out who he was. There's just no way that you can pretty that up. Uh, so also the cross was a, um, not a, a pretty symbol like it is now, not a, not a religious symbol, not something we, they would wear around their necks or on their bracelets or whatever. It was a grotesque uh, image because what it was is how it was a threat of the Roman Empire. It's how they sent them to die, how they, they would hang people on the cross. So it was grotesque and it was scary and people were intimidated and, and, and it just represented the terrible brutality of the Roman Empire. So for him to say, take up your cross, there couldn't have been a more comprehensive image of what it was like to follow Jesus. Yet he still said it. He said, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. Now let's talk about what it means to take up your cross. I've, I've heard people say, well, sorry, well, I have a bad back. I guess that, that's just my cross to bear. Or I have chronic migraines. I guess that's just my cross to bear. Or I have an ingrown toenail. I guess that's just my cross to bear. Or I have a non-directional husband. I guess that's just my cross to bear. But that is not what, um, that is not what carrying your cross, uh, taking up your cross means. It means dying to self. It means self-sacrifice. It means being obedient to Jesus. It means total surrender. There is no room for the I life in Christ. You have to put yourself aside to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. Some of you would think that you are a disciple. I might think I'm a disciple if I come to church every Sunday or every other Sunday or, or once a month. Some of you might think that's what being a disciple is. Some of us might think preaching is being a disciple of Jesus. Some of us might think uh, going to life group is being a disciple of Jesus or whatever the case may be. If you know the Christian lingo, maybe you're a disciple of Jesus. Maybe if you're on the church board, you're a disciple of Jesus. Maybe if you teach the children, you're a disciple of Jesus. But friends, following Jesus is so much more than that, than what we do. Following Christ means that we have to take up our cross daily. We have to give up our own hopes, our own dreams, our own possessions, uh, and even our life, if necessary, to be a true follower of Christ. As Pastor Garen said last week, it's loving Jesus with your very muchness. There is no way to partially take up your cross, by the way. You have to take it up completely or can't, don't take it up at all. It's either a do or don't kind of thing. But Jesus followed his call of death to self with the gift of life in Christ. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for me, will find it. So I left space on your worship folder. I want you just to think about this week and pray about whether you are a true follower of Christ, whether you are a true 
Christian. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about it for myself. It's, it's, it's a valid question. To be a disciple of Christ, we have to follow, we have to be obedient, we have to be in relationship with him, and most importantly, we have to be in relationship, or as is importantly, we have to be in relationship with others. So, all right, speaking of Pastor Garen, he is on my nerves this week. I, should, I feel bad saying that because, you know, he's sick today, he's throwing up and whatnot, but... Um, so I feel kind of bad saying that, but his sermon is actually what's on my nerves all week. I sleep till 6.30. The girls and I get up about 6.30 in the morning. All week, my stupid dog has been whining at 5.45 in the morning, waking me up. He wants to go outside. I'm like, really? So I get up. I let him out. I'm going to go crawl back in my warm bed. But no, 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 no. Garen's words. Life is about a million different choices. You can sleep late, you can hit the snooze button, or you can get up and read your Bible, or you can get up and make coffee for your spouse, or you can get up and make breakfast for your children. Really? Really, God? Why is that going through my mind? Not one day did I even get to sleep late this week, even Friday when the kids had no school, because that sermon. So I'm just telling you he's on my nerves. His sermon is on my nerves. But, all right. Well, we're going to move on to discipleship. To disciple others means simply to help others follow Jesus. And I'm going to ask, um, well, first let me say this. We're going to look at Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you even till the end of of the age. So we're that that was a command. We're supposed to go out and um, and make disciples of all the nations. I'm going to have my friends uh, Diane Graves and Jack McGinnis and Carrie Hayes come up to the stage this morning. Um, I figured I could uh, continue to preach this morning, or we could learn um, firsthand from these three people. Um, I'll give. I'll let y'all have the tall seat. Mine is. There's one short one up here, so just push that back when you get up there. I'll stand. Um, but um, I have had the privilege of being discipled um, by these two right here. Uh, Jack McGinnis was my Sunday school teacher when I first got to HFC, um, and he has taught me a lot, a lot about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a believer, what it means to put other people first. Uh, what it means to extend grace to people. He taught me that following Jesus is a heart thing. Diane, what can I say about Diane without losing it? Diane um, has taken me under her wing. She has mentored me. She has loved me. She has prayed with me. She has corrected me when I was wrong and I wasn't being Christ-like. She has prayed for my family. She's just loved me with the love of Christ. So, and, and Carrie is very intentional about her faith and about, about helping others to follow Christ. So I wanted to bring her up here too. So um, let's give them a round of applause and welcome them up here. I wanted to ask you guys, um, and I'm sure it's going to be different for each of you, but, well, it will be different for each of you, but who has been the most influential person in your life 
the person that most taught you how to follow Christ or people. And uh, Diane, we'll just go ahead and start with you since you're on that end. Well, I, if I'm really, really honest, I'd have to, I mean, I'd like to say something just tremendously profound, and you would say, well, boy, that's different than what happened to me. But um, the truth of the matter is, it was my parents. Um, I am fortunate, was fortunate enough to have very godly parents, but not, um, let me see if I can describe them. They were, they were uh, loving and they were, uh, they taught us to be respectful. They taught us right from wrong, but they weren't harsh or um, not anything like that. Uh, my mother was a person who explained, she explained things very well. And rather than just saying, this is what the Bible says, or this is what it says in the Church of the Nazarene Manual, or this is what the preacher says, she would talk to me about, about certain things and explain um, not just lay down the ultimatum, this is right and this is wrong, but she would explain to me um, the reasoning behind the things that were right and the things that were wrong. And, and some of the, I guess the easiest way to say it is sometimes the things that don't particularly seem wrong to us as, as younger people or as middle-aged people, they, they have a long-term effect. So, so we might begin a habit that doesn't seem so awful, and, but the long-term effects of it are bad, or it harms our witness. Um, so that if people see us doing particular things or, or using bad words or something like that, then to them that represents a hypocrisy. And, uh, and we don't ever wanna give that vibe off to people. We wanna be authentic and real. Mm -hmm. so, so mother would actually, I guess the very best example, I, this is the one that helps me the most, but I, I, I hesitate to use it because I don't want anybody to think that I'm being uh, fussy about particular words or anything. But, but my mother would explain to us, you know, of course we didn't use the word Jesus or the word God um, in a disrespectful way. And we didn't, we didn't say hell or damn or those things. Those are terrible things, you know. And so... Uh, Miss Diane, you just said those words. I'm just saying... <laughs> I had your daughter Just in my Sunday school class. <laughs> she shares. <laughs> Touche, see what I mean when she corrects me? She does. Um, but she would say, you know, if you, if you have a word like gosh or golly or something like that, she said, can you understand that that's just a derivative of the word God? And so that's the reason we encourage you not, not to say things like that. And once that was explained to me, I mean, it wasn't some great thing I felt conviction about in a service, uh, you know, but once she explained it to me and I understood it, then I could internalize that and, and follow those directions. It made sense to me. My mom was very good about explaining things. My dad was great, too. He was more of a, uh, when I think about my dad, I, what I learned from him was commitment and faithfulness and taking care of your family no matter what. It didn't matter if we had money or didn't have money or somebody was sick or wasn't. It didn't matter. You took care of your family. You did what was right for your family and for everybody else around you that you could possibly be of help to. And um, so I, I would say that, I, I would have to say it was my parents that originally taught me what it meant to be a Christian just by, by watching them live. And, and it wasn't something that they did with like, oh my goodness, you know, I gotta, gotta be good in front of the kids or gotta get up and go to church today. It's, 
It was just everything was normal. I, did you know that I didn't know that you couldn't come to church on Sunday? I didn't know that. <laughs> I, by the same token, I didn't know that I could be conveniently ill on a school day. I never knew it till I was grown. I never knew it. I just knew the right thing to do, and I got up and did it, and that was because they taught me that, and they taught me to do it with, um, um, enjoy it. They taught me to enjoy it. My parents really enjoyed life. Now, my mom was sick. By the time I was 13, she had cancer, and she died when I was 20. And uh, my dad remarried, and I had a marvelous, marvelous stepmom. And between my mother and my stepmother, they taught me a great deal about serving people and loving people and doing things for people and enjoying it while I was, while I was doing it, not doing it out of a, you know, because I felt like I had to or because I was on some list for sign-up genius or something. Just do it, <laughs> do it because I wanted to do it. And, and, and I do. When I do those things, it's because I want to. I, I would have to add, too, that, of course, I had Sunday school teachers you got to remember that I was two when my parents brought me to this church. I was two years old. So I've had a million Sunday school teachers and, uh, and then life group leaders and, and pastors and extended family. And, and, and so I've had a lot of people in my life that have taught me what it means to be committed and to serve, to serve Christ and to do it with, with joy and most of the time with fun. So. Thank you, Diane. Jack? Good to be second. <laughs> and I do know what it means to be conveniently ill. Uh, I went through I, uh, kindergarten through sixth grade with Catholic school. And one thing the Catholic school is good for is by the time you get out, you know catechism, which is the basic tenets of Christian faith. I knew it. It was in there. But I never got what Michelle was talking about, the relationship. Uh, when I was uh, about 21 years old, uh, I got put in a situation with a guy named Bob Taylor. Uh, and we had to ride from the office to the construction site uh, by ourselves for 30 minutes each way. And, and I had always been searching for this relationship. And Bob started talking about what the relationship was and what it meant. And all of a sudden, all the catechism started coming together and there was the whole picture. And six months later, I got my relationship. And Bob Taylor and I no longer rode together. We were assigned to different schools. Wow. Carrie? I would definitely say my mom. Um, I think it wasn't, to me, it wasn't like a formal discipleship. I didn't know she was doing it. But looking back, I see uh, my mom is a very humble person. Um, but she will volunteer to help anyone. She regularly went and picked up kids whose families didn't come to church, and she would bring them to church. Um, she would lead musicals, and so those kids' families would come to church. Um, she always, always went out of her way for other people, mm. for her family, for people in church, all the time. She would never buy anything for herself. She would always um, just do what other people needed. And um, she has a faith that if she says she's going to pray for you, she will pray for you. And you'll see her, I mean, daily. If you go early in the morning, she'll be there praying and reading her Bible. Um, and she's just, you know, sometimes when you disciple someone, it's very purposeful. 
and you say, okay, I'm going to share my faith today, and you start a conversation. Hers is very natural. It was just because of how she loved people, and her love for God kind of just overflowed in everything that she did. Hmm. And that's really more what discipleship is. I mean, there are times where we want to be formal in our discipleship, but discipleship is really just about a relationship and, and one relationship at a time. So um, now I would like um, y'all to tell me why you do what you do, why you choose to invest in other people's lives. It seems, it seems natural to me. So many people have invested in my life. Um, it just seems natural. I want to. I don't want to be a hermit or, a, you know, somebody who doesn't, is not around people. And uh, I think very quickly if we invest in other people's lives, we, we learn a lot about them. They learn about, a lot about us. And, uh, I mean, if you're honest, if you talk, like real talk, not just the how are you and isn't it a nice day and that sort of stuff. But if you really get in conversation with people, you learn about them. You learn about their, their families. And um, I think we can use that. And I don't, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I purposely use all those things and think at some point in this conversation or at some point in, in my relationship with this person, I'm going to be able to share Christ with them. Um, a lot of times I don't think about that. I just I think that those things, um, God knows. God goes before us, and God knows and, and has prepared the hearts of those people that he wants us to reach. And I think if we're, if we're natural with them, just our, our sharing is, is, you know, the best, the best thing. That's, the, that's, what, that's what I can do. I, I can't stand up and teach a, a big, important class. I can't preach a sermon. I can't, you know, but I can be relational with people. And, and I, love, I love people, so that comes fairly naturally to me. Thank you, Diane. Jack? Uh, when I was uh, 19 years old, uh, I saw a movie. Uh, it was, I don't know, I don't, I can't explain how, but God spoke to that movie to me, and I saw my destiny, if it will. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it, but the movie was To Sir With Love. It's a story of uh, uh, a guy that becomes a teacher in a, just a very poor, bad school, and the kids are very arrogant. Their parents don't have time to spend with them because they're, they're working two and three jobs, and, and, or there is no dad, or, or whatever, and, uh, he, this guy was an engineer, but he took a job as a teacher because he couldn't find an engineering job. And in, in, through the course of the movie, he taught, he got them only for one year, and he taught these kids so much and prepared them for life instead of teaching them math and, and social studies and things like that. He taught them about life. And in the end, they understood. And when the movie was done, I, I can't explain it, I knew that was my destiny. That's what I was looking for to do in my life. And I didn't know how I was going to do it because I was not really affiliated with any organization where I had the opportunity to do it. But uh, since then, uh, when I became a Christian in the church, I mean, within, within three months, I was the teen director. And I worked, I worked for 20 years nonstop in teen department. And it's very, very fulfilling. That it, it's what I was meant to do. I can't help it. You do it well. You do it well. Carrie, tell me a little bit um, about um, you're, you're, you're very good at just honing in on people that uh, are new or um, l 
look uh, just like they need somebody to talk to. Tell me what it is that, that makes you do that or, or makes you want to do that. I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people have had a bad experience with church or with people who claim to be Christians, and they haven't really experienced who God really is. So in my interactions with people, whether it's um, someone at church or someone at school or working at McDonald's, whatever it is, um, I, want, I want to be an example of what God's love really is like. So I think um, in First Peter something, three, chapter 3, I think, it says to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. And I think through loving people and making them feel welcome, making them feel apart, making them feel respected, um, whether or not I ever mention God's name, yes, I want to if, if the opportunity arises, but that just through um, my love for them and respect for them, that they'll maybe begin to feel what God's love is really like. And I think as I build a relationship with people, they're going to find out or they're going to know that I'm a Christian and um, hopefully opportunities will come up that they'll ask for the reason of the hope that I have, and I'll be able to share that with them. But mostly I just want them to begin to really feel what God's love is, and I don't want to be another one of those people to um, prove them right, that, um, that Christianity isn't for them or that God doesn't really love them. Thank you, Carrie. Now, Jack, uh, you have mentored um, many young men in this church, and um, some of them wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for you. Can you can you just briefly tell us about one of those relationships um, and, and, and what God has done through it? Well, there's a bunch of them. Uh, I got two at once uh, in junior high. Uh, both of them were in situations where the dad was not involved in the, in the family much, and uh, it's just I was privileged to be in these lives. One of them I had to drag down off a wall uh, in, we were having a junior high service. Everybody was sitting quietly, and he was climbing up on a wall. Uh, and, you know, I mean, they come to you in different ways, but <laughs> honestly. Some on walls, some not. Yeah, but honestly, uh, it, it was just exactly what I was meant to do, you know, to, to be a friend and to counsel and, and the satisfaction of, uh, you know, when I, when I mentor, I always ask the kid when we're starting out, you keep going on the way you're going right now, where will you be in five years? And, and then five years later, you get to ask the question, where would you have been if you and I had not come into a relationship? And they see the growth that they've had in their life for the first time. They don't realize it happened, but it happened. And it's just so awesome and so rewarding. Thank you, guys. Give them a round of applause. I wanted you to be able to hear it from them. You can go down. Thank you so much. Did you hear, um, I think it was Jack, he said, um, or maybe it was Diane. Anyway, Jack, hey, there's a song in there. I can't sing it. I was going to break out into song, but I changed my mind. <laughs> anyway, all right. So uh, one of them said that you can't be a hypocrite and follow Christ, um, and that is so true. What we do day in and day out has to be authentic with what we say we believe. 
Um, So let's look at Matthew 28 again. This time we're going to start with verse 18. This is called the Great Commission. You guys can come on up. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth and on earth has been given to me all authority on heaven in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and surely i am with you always to the very end of the age i want to, you to keep that um the first verse that says all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me in mind as we finish up um, today. You know, there are numerous excuses that we use why we don't want to disciple others, um, why we don't want to get out of our I lives. We're too busy. We work full time. We have a family. We have kids. We have dinner to put on the table. We, we have um, sports to take our kids to, cheerleading, soccer, football. These are all just examples of my life. So um, we are busy, right? Um, we don't, uh, we, we, we think of anything that we can to not want to get in relationship with people and be um, out of the eye life. And one of the things... Um, that happens with that is that we become very isolated and God did not mean for us to be isolated. He meant for us to live in community. So another thing that keeps us from doing it is we feel inadequate. We, we think we don't know how to disciple somebody. We think we don't have enough knowledge. But friends, discipleship is really just about relationships. You don't have to take a Bible and, co- and go from front of the Bible to the back of the Bible with somebody to be a disciple, to help them to follow Christ. There are a million ways that you can do this. Um, you can, I think of Wilburn Elementary. I uh, mentor a fifth grade girl there and I can't go into the school and bring my Bible and start talking to her about the Bible because it's against the rules but I can live my life in such a way and I can tell her what Jesus has done for me to where she will know who Jesus is by that Um, I think of you know the teenagers here on on Wednesday nights at in in children at any given time there's 60 kids uh, on a Wednesday night that need people not to go up there and police them and say, don't do this and don't do that. They need people to come and just say, hey, how was your week? You don't have to know everything to, to want to, um, to disciple somebody, to want to get someone pointed towards Christ. Um, you have a card under your seat, or not a card, a, a, a sticky note. I want you to take it out, and um, we're going to pray in a minute, but as we... Um, go towards prayer, um, I want you to think about someone that you could ask to be your mentor or your disciple, somebody that you could learn from. And I want you to write it down. I also want you to write down someone that comes to mind that you could actually mentor or disciple, have a relationship with. And I want you to place that somewhere where you're going to see it very often during the week somewhere where you'll uh, be able to think about it. And I want you to pray over that. And I'm going to as well. I um, I recently, uh, in one of my classes in Colorado, um, met a, uh, another woman pastor 
um, she goes to Southwest Church of the Nazarene, and um, we, we had to go all the way to Colorado to meet each other, but I had been praying for another uh, woman pastor to um, be my accountability part, partner, to be able to disciple me and me, me her. Um, and uh, she sent me an email out of the blue um, the other day and asked me if I would like to get a relationship going and, and just be that for each other. So um, I'm excited about that. And so I'm going to do it too. So I just want us to be true followers of Christ. I want this church to be a place where people feel welcome, where people feel loved, where people feel taught, where people feel fulfilled. And that is not going to happen without us. God chooses to use us. As, as, as imperfect as we are, he chooses to use us. Um, so I'm going to give you a minute to fill, fill those cards out, and then we're going to pray. Father God, Thank you for this body of believers, Lord. We thank you that you love us, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. I know I say those things over and over again when I pray because, because I mean them. Because your grace and your mercy have been so great in my life. And without it, Lord, <laughs> I shudder to think where I would be. God, I pray that we would be a people of boldness, a people of faith, a people that would be excited to tell others what you've done in our lives. I pray that you would give us the strength, the words, the knowledge, the know-how to go out and just tell people what you've done in our lives. There's no better way to tell people about you than just to simply share what you've done in our own lives. So God, help us to remember exactly what that is. Sometimes we get busy and with life and stuff, and we, we forget what you've done for us. So God, even right now as we pray, I ask that you would remind us, God, um, of what it is that you've done for us, and then help us to be willing to go out and share it. Uh, Lord, we love you this morning. We are honored and privileged to be in your house of worship today. Um, God, and I just uh, thank you um, for what you're doing in this place and in each of our lives. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. 